0: Good morning again. I thought I messed it up there. She was still going through her papers. I thought maybe it was another song. Some of you well, obviously some of you are visitors. Some of you are new to attending Lakeside. Maybe some of you are even tuning in for the first time this morning. Uh, but many of you, of course, have been attending for some time and I hope in all of your time attending here at Lakeside, studying together the Word of God with us, you will have at some level picked up a familiar theme in every series we preach, in every contemplation of Scripture that we do. And this is the theme. The whole story of the Bible, the whole purpose of God's interaction with mankind, the whole arc of history points us towards the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the center of all of God's revelation. He's in the Old Testament and the New. And Jesus is at the center of all of God's purposes. All of his promises are yes and amen in him. When sin broke our relationship with God, God immediately made a promise to Satan, in fact, and to Eve. So he spoke to the serpent, and he said, this is how the future is going to go now, right off the bat. In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God says, right off the bat, there's one person at the center of all of this. There is an offspring, two kinds of children. Children plural, lots of offspring of Eve. Children plural, Some who follow Satan, some who give their allegiance to Christ and to God. But not just children, plural, but an offspring, a child, he, singular, is going to arrive. And he will strike your head, Satan, even as you strike at his heel. And that promise that God made, that everything is going to come to The focus of Jesus was carried through the covenant or the promise. He made a promise to Eve and to Satan and to mankind. He made a covenant. He made a promise with Noah. And it carries through the covenant with Abraham. And it carries through the covenant of Moses at Mount Sinai that we call the law. And it carries through the covenant with David, who the final king and Messiah would come through. It carries through all the way to Jesus. It was pictured and foretold by a ram caught in a thicket, by the blood of a lamb, Smeared over a doorpost by a nation set free from slavery in Egypt, pictured by a system of sacrificial substitution of bulls and goats, pictured in the law of grace, a hundred prophecies and pictures of who was to come. Jesus is the center point of history and the center point of our relationship with God. Everything points to the person of Jesus Christ. And then it's worth asking... What is at the center of the person and purpose of Jesus Christ? And the center of Jesus' life and purpose is the cross. The focal point of history is Jesus, and the focal point of Jesus' ministry is the cross. The weight of all of God's justice hangs on the cross. The depth and nature of all of God's love is put on display in the cross. The hope of all mankind is revealed in the cross. There's dozens of ways that I could express that same truth, but there's a reason that Easter is a big deal. There's a reason that it is the center of our calendar as Christians. The hope of humanity rests in this event. The person of Jesus, the suffering servant, God made flesh, the second Adam, our mediator of a new covenant. That person in his body, out of love for us, goes to the cross to shed his blood to reconcile man to God. It all comes to this. It all comes to how you respond to this central act of history and of God's purposes. Scripture teaches that the aim of God in the cross is that Jesus would always be magnified, always be glorified, always be central. Everything in Scripture points either forward to the cross or backwards to the cross. Every aspect of our lives as believers is transformed by what was accomplished on the cross. And as we live our Christian life with the cross immovably at the center of our Christian living, then we are living our Christian life rightly. The Apostle Paul says of his own Christian experience in Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to boast, or you could say exalt or have confidence in, anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So this morning, I just want to consider three ways in which the cross is central to everything. And how we as believers never leave the cross. The cross. It is central to how we live. There are three things I want to talk about the centrality of the cross this morning. First of all, the centrality of the cross in Jesus' identity. The law in the Old Testament, as I touched on, pointed toward Jesus in a thousand beautiful ways. And the Old Testament prophets all spoke of the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One that would come at many times. In many ways, they spoke of Him but they were confused by how they spoke of the Messiah in the Old Testament. They pondered on the very words of prophecy that they were speaking. It was confusing because for them, as they spoke of the Messiah and all the pictures of the Messiah to come, involved suffering, involved blood, involved sacrifice. And that was confusing. They thought he was going to come as a victorious king, and yet he comes suffering at the center of the messianic identity. Isaiah 53 sums it up for us quite well. Speaking of he who was to come, the anointed of God, it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as... So you're an Old Testament prophet and you think you're prophesying on the Messiah and you have the Holy Spirit lead you to write poetry and scripture like that and you think who is this Messiah that is going to suffer at the very center of his identity is suffering. If Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, then central to his purpose is the cross, to be stricken, to be afflicted, to be crushed on our behalf. But then even after Jesus was born and had grown into his appointed ministry, just as was prophesied, his cousin, John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, caught sight of Jesus coming in the crowds and he formally introduces the arrival of Jesus on the scene. He says in John one twenty nine. the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not behold the King, not behold the Anointed One, not behold any of those great titles which are all true of Jesus. His identity from the last prophet is Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's a sacrificial lamb. The sacrifice he was heading towards was central to his purpose. It's not just the Old Testament. It's not just John the Baptist. Then Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples, keeps trying to prepare them at least three times. It's recorded in Matthew. Three separate occasions Jesus tries to explain to the disciples some variation of Matthew 20, 18, 19. He says to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, going up to the city. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. The disciples didn't want to hear it. They didn't believe him. They got angry with him when he talked like this. But Jesus is trying to explain this is the center of my identity, this is what everything is moving towards. And then Jesus himself eventually says to himself almost, as he approaches his time on the cross in John chapter 12, he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Jesus says himself, this is the point of my bodily life here. This is my purpose on earth, is to come to this hour of the cross. All the Old Testament promises and law pointing forward to Jesus. The prophecies predicting Jesus. The last prophet, John the Baptist, recognizing Jesus in the centrality of the cross. Jesus himself putting the cross at the center of his ministry, at the center of his purpose and identity. But it doesn't even end at the cross, The centrality of the cross in who Jesus is and in his ministry carries on past the cross, even past the resurrection, looking forward as far into the eternal future as you want to look. The cross will always be and forever be the mark of Jesus' purpose. You remember, after his resurrection, he's in his new glorified body now. He's got the goods. He's got the final firstborn of the resurrection, the best body you're ever going to get. And he appears to his disciples in this new glorified body. And some of them doubt him. And he says, Thomas, touch the wounds in my hands. Touch the wound in my side. Even in his glorified body, his wounds of the cross are not healed. Because the cross is central to Jesus' identity forever. And you're thinking, yeah, but he ascends into heaven. And I'm sure they got really good medical system in heaven. Jesus' body is going to be, you know, perfect in heaven. No, you go forward again. How far do you want to go? You go to Revelation. And the disciple John, not the John the Baptist, but the Apostle John, is given a glimpse into the reality of the heavenly throne room of eternity after the ascension of Jesus. And even he doesn't see Jesus fully feel healed. In that eternal state, we will be worshiping the Lamb again. And John says, and between... The throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, a lamb as though had been slain. Still, still got the wounds forever. We will be worshiping the centrality of the cross in the body of Jesus Christ for eternity. So Jesus is the focal point of scripture in history, and the cross is the center point of Jesus' identity as the Messiah and purpose as our Savior. So if that's true, then of course the cross then becomes central to the apostles' teaching as the apostles try to teach how we live out our life following this Messiah. Paul says to the people in the city of Corinth, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing. But we know, we know that Paul taught the Corinthian church about a whole lot of things, and yet Paul still felt confident saying, I did not know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. That's all I taught on. Paul made the cross the very center of every teaching of the Christian life. Now, he's speaking here maybe perhaps of the gospel, and of course the cross would be central if you're preaching on the gospel, the good news that Christ has come, and by his life and death and resurrection has made a way for us to be reconciled with God. Of course the cross is central to that. But Paul does not leave the cross in any of his teaching. If you are alert as you go through Paul's teaching, he brings it back to the cross in virtually every circumstance. In matters of church unity, Paul immediately points to the church members to the cross, He asks the church members who are arguing over, should I follow Peter, or should I follow Apollos, or should I follow Paul? He says, was Paul crucified for you? (laughs) Who should you follow? How about the crucified one? That's who you follow. It's about the cross. In chapter 6 of the same letter, when dealing with issues of immorality and sin, he says, don't you know that you have been bought with a price? Jesus paid for you on the cross. You O Him, you are owned by Him, the the display of your life, the acts of your life are His in matters of moral purity, it's still the cross. In Ephesians 5, when dealing with household issues, husbands and wives, he says, love your wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church. Okay, but, but how specifically? By becoming incarnate, by humbling yourself in service? Well, that would be a good lesson, but Paul doesn't teach that lesson. He says, as Christ gave himself up for it. Husbands, how do you love your wives? The way Christ loved us on the cross. Everything comes back to the cross in the Christian life and in the apostles' teaching. John centers his teaching on love on the cross of Christ. In Hebrews, we're taught to run with endurance by the power of Christ crucified. In Titus, we're taught the cross has rescued us from lawlessness and we're purified. We just have example after example after example after example. The apostles never leave the cross. The cross is central to our teaching. We can go deeper into the cross, we can see how broadly the cross applies to our life, but the Christian faith never leaves the cross no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how far we feel we've progressed in our faith and maturity. Every day and every question of faith and doctrine is answered on the cross of Christ. So, how was Paul able to say, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ crucified, and without that being an exaggeration, still be able to teach those Christians about every aspect of life, never leaving the cross behind? Well, here's just a few examples of how the teaching of the cross never leaves us. Here's a few of the questions Paul was asked, and you probably ask yourself, and the cross answers those questions. You might ask, How serious is our sin? Look at the cross. That's how serious our sin is. How precious and valuable are these people around me? What value do I place in every human being that I see? Right there, that's the value. Christ died for them. What does sacrifice look like in my life? That is sacrifice right there. To what lengths should our humility as disciples go? Naked and hung to die in public on the cross? That level of humility? How much value is placed in forgiveness? I mean, how much do I really have to forgive those people that bug me? That's what forgiveness can cost you. That's how valuable forgiveness is. The cross teaches it. To what degree are we made able to suffer for others? With God, we can endure all things. Christ endured the cross for us. Where do we find our own worth? How valuable am I when I wake up in those mornings wondering if I am worth anything? That's where your worth is found, right there, on the cross. How far does God's mercy extend? There must be a limit to it. That's how far His mercy goes. No limit. Goes to the end, goes to His own death and sacrifice? What gives me purpose in life? Jesus' purpose on the cross surpasses all other purposes you could possibly have. Without a doubt. What gives us hope in death? The promise of God sealed that he's defeated death in the cross and the resurrection by his own sacrifice. That's what gives us hope in death. Every single question of the Christian life is answered on the cross of Christ. Christ. The answer that Jesus on the cross provides to any of those answers could be explored for hours and hours and days and weeks. It would never end. The depth of the cross goes on forever. There's no end to the depth of the answer the cross gives to the most profound questions we have of our life or about God. The most important thing for us being the question of God's love for us. And so the third and final point is the centrality of the cross in God's love in our salvation. The cross answers the question of how much God loves us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. That giving is not just gave to come and have a vacation here. Gave as in came to die for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God, the Father, so loved the world that He gave His Son. The Apostle John says it again near the end of his life, writing a letter to his most beloved Christian friends. He says in First John 2, 2, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for or pays for our sins. And not only our sins, not just us Israelites, not just us Jewish people, but the sins of the whole world, the sins of all people he's come to die for. And it's not just the old covenant, it's the new covenant now. It's not just God's elect Israelites and Jewish people. It's God dying and paying for and atoning for the sins of all nationalities and all ethnicities and all classes and all people. So come back again to that first Good Friday that Pastor Gary read to us in the scriptures. Consider the scene that is taking place as Christ goes to the cross. It's the week of Passover. It's the largest feast of the Jewish calendar. It is the feast to celebrate the night that God's angel of death swept over Egypt, and every house whose doorposts were dabbed with the blood of the Lamb, death passed over, and they were rescued and spared. The Passover meal itself, an event itself, perhaps being the clearest image of the Messiah to come, and the feast that Jesus connects himself most closely with, with his followers. So imagine that, this is Jerusalem, the Passover feast that's been going on for over a thousand years is taking place. It's bursting as a city with upwards to three to four million people. They've all traveled to make their sacrifice at the temple. And by the old covenant law, blood must be shed to pay for the sins of the people as a foreshadowing of the shed blood of Christ. And on the very day of Jesus' death, while he's being led through the streets and he's going to be nailed to his cross and hung between two criminals outside the gates of the city, up on the temple mount, tens upon hundreds of thousands of lambs are being slaughtered for the sins of Israel. I'm not exaggerating. Tens of thousands of lambs and bulls and doves and you name it... are being slaughtered to try to postpone the wrath of God... and to cover the sin of Israel. And one lamb... one lamb... the Lamb of God that John the Baptist saw... he is left to die on the outskirts of the city with almost nobody there for the sins of the whole world, once and for all, so no sacrifice never needs to happen again. One death for all, putting an end to sacrifice, and establishing a new law and a new agreement, a new promise, a new covenant by which God has paid the price for our sins so that we will never have to pay a debt that we could never pay anyway if we have faith in Him and trust in that promise. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 says, He, Jesus, did not enter did not enter into the heavenly temple by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Don't have to keep going back every year. Don't have to keep having that sacrifice. Once for all, Christ the Lamb went in, sprinkling by his own blood, and he obtained eternal redemption. And this is the centrality of the cross in God's love for us and our salvation. By his blood we are saved. By his blood those who believe have been purchased for eternity by this ultimate act of love. And Jesus has given us this new Passover feast. We have communion now. Jesus took the Passover feast and he literally made it into a new ordinance for his people in the new covenant. A new remembrance, because it's by his blood we have the promise of a new covenant. What God promised Eve and promised the serpent in Eden has finally come to pass. The seed has crushed the head of the serpent. And he is flailing in desperation and in death throes, even as we speak. The second Adam, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised seed, has crushed the serpent's head. And he has no more power of death over us. No more power of rebellion, even, or sin over us. We are set free by the cross for those who believe. How did Jesus do that? Well, he gathered his disciples on that last Passover for us, the last Passover meal. And Luke 22 explains, as they gathered together to eat the Passover, he wanted to change this whole Passover picture for them. He says, when the hour had come, remember he said he was looking for this hour? It was coming. Here it is. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until, I, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. All, all, all of this stuff that the Passover feast has been pointing to for all these centuries, it's coming to a fulfillment now. And I can't wait. Oh, man, we remember that monthly. Some people remember it weekly. Paul says remember it every time you sit down to eat. (laughs) But we remember it especially truly today. We have a new covenant by the blood of Christ. We have a new covenant because God came bodily, put his body on a cross, and shed blood for us. The body and blood of Christ encourage us, give us hope. We prepare ourselves now for this communion meal as children of God. And communion is for those that know God. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know whether you have put your hope in the only thing that can give you hope in the cross of Christ... That God has promised that all of your sins are paid for, all of your shame is covered, you are a new creation, you are holy and righteous because of what Christ has done alone, you have no debt left, you put your hope in that, you put your hope in Christ, communion is for you, he wants to eat with you, he wants you close to him today. And for those of you who have that, this is a special time, not to feel guilty, not to feel ashamed, but to come before Jesus and say, thank you that you have made this Passover real, fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. And So I just ask you to prepare your hearts as the music team comes. They're going to play a song that you can meditate on. You can meditate in your own prayers. I'm going to have my helpers come forward, and they're going to serve both the bread and the cup together. So when you get the first element, just wait for the second one. And when you have both elements in your hand, then Pastor Gary's going to come, and he's going to pray for those elements, and we will take them all together. And we will remember what Good Friday is about. It's about the centrality of Christ, the centrality of the cross in Christ, the centrality of the cross in the Christian life, the centrality of of the cross in God's love for us and in our salvation. And we give thanks for that today.